and my Bible. So the series that we're in right now as we're going through Advent is talking about peace. And the, the strange fact that the angels said that peace has been here on earth since Jesus' birth. It's been here all along. And what we're doing is we are looking at stories in the Gospel of Luke when it is specifically said that a person uh, encountered Jesus and left in, at peace. So the first week we talked about Simeon who met Jesus when he was eight days old. But the fact that he saw God's Messiah was enough for him to have faith that every other step of God's plan was going to happen. So seeing baby Jesus was as good as seeing the crucifixion and seeing the resurrection and seeing the second coming. Because he knew if one of those things happens, the whole thing's going to happen. Right? And so that gave him the strength to wait in peace for the other things to happen. And he could experience the peace of knowing, I know how it's going to end, so I can live now in confidence of how it's going to end. Last week, we looked at a story where a woman who had a reputation as a sinner was forgiven by Jesus, and it completely changed her world, and she ended up weeping over his feet and anointing him with oil. And we talked about why it would make such a big deal that a person received forgiveness. We talked about what it means to live a forgiven life and to recognize it doesn't mean the sins never happened, but it does mean that they will be undone at judgment day. And so we can live with hope that our sins and our guilt are not the end of the story. Today, we're going to read another story, interestingly enough, with another unnamed woman, which ends with her receiving peace. And this is a woman, last week we talked about the, she's known as the sinful woman. This week we're talking about the woman with the bleeding issue, is usually what she's called. It's a, a stirring name. It's, it's all we know about her. And so that's what she's usually called. Uh, I will be interested to find out her name and glory. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 8. And uh, this, is, this actually is in the middle of another story where Jesus is on his way to... Um, raise a girl from the dead. Uh, a man has come to him and said, hey, my daughter is very, very ill. Please come and heal her. And so they're on their way to this child who's sick. So I'm going to start halfway through verse 42 of Luke chapter 8. While Jesus was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is a puzzling story for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, there's, and there's a couple of questions that come out of this. Number one is, why did she think that she could get healed by touching his garment? Number two is why did, God respond, or why did Jesus respond by calling her out and making a big deal out of this for a woman who almost certainly had social anxiety from what she'd been going through? And then number three, 
Whenever we read a story of a miraculous healing, I think it always evokes the question for us, why doesn't Jesus do this every time? So those are the questions that I want us to examine as we look at this story. First of all, we're going to ask, why did she touch Jesus? Why did she think that touching Jesus would bring her healing? It might be enough just to say she was desperate. She had tried everything else. Um, She had spent all her money on doctors and nobody else had been able to heal her. Um, Actually, sorry, let me back up just a little bit. So just so you know, in the context of the story, that she has been, she has been basically going through menstruation for 12 years solid. And in that culture, that was very, that was a serious issue because um, that made you ritually unclean. And the reason it made you ritually unclean was because uh, the loss of bodily fluids reminded people that they're mortal, and it made people think of death, and so it brought out anxiety. And the interesting thing is this is still true today. Psychologists have run tests to show, or done experiments to show that we, men and women, are uncomfortable with these bodily processes because they remind us that we're mortal. In the Law of Moses, it actually took everything that people associate with death and said that's unclean. doesn't mean it's wrong, but it means that you can't go to the temple until you've taken, done a quarantine and taken a bath. Okay? But because she's unclean, if anybody touches her or touches anything she's touched, they're unclean. And if they were to then go into the temple without doing the quarantine and the bath, they would desecrate the temple. So she has to tell every person before they touch her or anything she owns or anything she's touched, she has to tell them about her condition, which really just means you just don't touch anybody and you don't go near anyone so they don't touch yourself. You don't have to tell them this whole thing, right? You just avoid people. That's why it's such a big deal that she pushed her way through a crowd and touched Jesus. And also why she probably didn't want to admit in front of the entire crowd what she had done. But this, so she spent 12 years in this condition. And she's tried to, she's gone to doctors, nobody's been able to heal her. But what we can, what we can probably safely assume about her is that, first of all, she's been hearing about Jesus, and she believes that he has some kind of connection with the promises that God has made to Israel. And she believes that those promises must be true. She had faith that God's promises were coming true through Jesus. There's a couple of places where you can go to see this prediction that in the age to come, God was going to heal people. One of the most famous is Isaiah chapter 33. It says, um, where am I? I put too many verses on here. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God, vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming, he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. When Jesus comes, when this day, when the, when the age to come arrives, God will heal people. And she believes that Jesus is bringing that age. But perhaps more significantly for her, she doesn't just believe that it's coming. This woman who has been ritually unclean for 12 years, has been ostracized and had to keep her distance from people for 12 years, it would be really easy for her to then say, well, that's, that's a good promise, but that's for other people. 
That doesn't really happen for people like me. But it takes another level, it takes one level of faith to believe God is doing things in the world, changing the world, and it takes a different level to believe that God is changing things in my life. And she had that level. She had faith that God's God's promises could be true for her. Matthew's version of the story actually gives us a little bit of her inner dialogue. She says, she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. She doesn't think that she's worthy of his full attention. She doesn't think she's worthy of a conversation. But if she can just brush his robe, then maybe she'll get healed. She'll get her own little portion of it. She'll get the, the crumbs falling off the table. Now, it's not, it's not a very uh, self-confident faith that God's promises for her. She's still only going for the crumbs. But she does actually believe, maybe, surely, maybe purely out of desperation, that God's promises can come true for her. And she's right. Because Jesus, in, in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, G, the very next verse, Jesus just responds directly. He says, have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. So she touched him. And because of her faith, because she believed that God was healing the world and that that meant that he could be healing her too, she was healed. But Jesus didn't leave it at that. Jesus, in Luke's version, he fills out the steps of the story. He tells us that Jesus said, who touched me? And he's in the middle of a crowd. So the disciples are like, Jesus, like everyone touched you. Everyone, anyone. There's no way for us to know. And Jesus said, someone touched me I know that power has come out for me. And Jesus is clearly saying this for the woman's benefit, right? Like he wants her to overhear so she'll say something. Now I want you to imagine what it would have been like for her to admit that she had done this. And I think you will, you will be able, if you, if you lived, if you were alive in the last five years, you will know what this feels like. Like anybody, when COVID was at its highest, go into Walmart with allergies? <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? Like that feeling like, or, or if, you got, if you got a positive and you realized all the places you had been and you had to call people and tell them, hey, I was positive when I was in that place. Now imagine that you're in the middle of a crowd of people and you're gonna have to t- say in front of all of them, yeah, I pushed my way through the crowd and I was ritually unclean the whole time. And then I touched the guy that everybody's here to see. And if he hadn't healed me, it would have made him unclean too. Or like they, she could have gotten stoned out of this, right? Like this would have been a, she was terrified. And it says she was afraid. So the question is, why did Jesus do that to her? Why did he call her out? Why didn't he let her get away? Why didn't he turn and kind of wink so she knew that he knew and then leave it there? As I was reading the story to prepare for this sermon, it occurred to me that what Jesus does here is actually the most important thing he does for her. Because I started to think about what it would have been like if, she, if he had just let her go, not said a word to her, okay? It, it occurred to me that if the woman had gotten away, she would have left without peace. Because think about it, what would, her, what would the story have been in her head about what happened? Would she have had a story of confirming that God loved her and cared about her and wanted to heal her? As far as she knows, she stole that healing, right? She snuck it. She touched him and snuck away, and she got it just because she, she, Jesus didn't notice. 
or because he couldn't get away from her in the crowd, right? Like, like she bamboozled Jesus, and she doesn't really deserve it. Right? And what would that, so she would have been physically whole, but her relationship with God, it wouldn't have been any better. And it might have been worse because it might have, she might have added guilt to it. If she felt like she had stolen it, then if she were then to want to go back to God, she would now have this additional thing to confess. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I've met you before, Jesus, and I, I kind of stole a healing from you, right? If she hadn't had this conversation with Jesus, she would have left physically restored, but still alienated from God, still not knowing Jesus, still not connected with him. And the thing is, the most important thing Jesus wanted for her to know, wanted to happen to her, was for her to know that in spite of the fact that she has been ostracized for these 12 years, and in spite of whatever suffering she's experienced, that she is at peace with him and with God. He wants her to know she didn't steal anything. She didn't get away with anything. He wanted her to be healed. And most importantly, he wanted to know her and wanted her to know him. Because notice the language that he uses. When she admits that she has pushed her way through this crowd in an unclean state and touched him in an unclean state, what does he say to her? He says, daughter, daughter. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, when she goes away, she goes away not only physically healed, but she goes away with a whole new understanding of her relationship with God and a whole new understanding of how she is seen by the Messiah. She has been called daughter by the king of Israel, the king of the nations, the, as we, we learn throughout Revelation, the creator of the universe has called her daughter and has commended her for her faith. You were right to believe that God's promises were coming true and that they could be true for you. He wants her to know, I see you. I see you seeing me see you, and we are good. We are at peace. That's the more important thing that she received in this, in this encounter. It was not just the healing, but the reconciliation with Jesus. And when we recognize that, it helps us to better answer the really big question, because then... As I was preparing for this sermon, and I talk about how Jesus brings peace to the healing, well, in this case, he healed her, but I can't come up here and tell you Jesus is going to miraculously heal you whenever you're hurting. We know that that's not how it works. And the truth is, no one has ever actually had reason to think that that was how it worked. Not even the people who were walking with Jesus in his ministry saw him heal every single person who was hurt. Early in the Gospel of Luke, there's a moment where Jesus spends the day healing people. And then the next day, the people he hasn't gotten around to healing, they track him down while he's on his private retreat and they find him. And Jesus says, sorry, I got to go. I got to preach to all the towns of Judea. And he leaves people unhealed. 
Because Jesus did not come to heal, to miraculously heal everyone in this life. He came to bring us peace with God. And that is why he would stop a healing ministry in one place and go to another place to preach the gospel. He says, he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. The peace that Jesus offers us, the peace that he was sent to bring us is not the idea that we will be miraculously healed in this life every time we're hurt. As much as we might want it to be, as much as I wish I could tell you, here's the formula for getting healed. You just got to find, right, like, find the right person, someone who's been you know, called as an elder and touch their clothes and you'll be fine. Right? That's not actually what Jesus came to set up. Instead, Jesus, Jesus came to bring peace to us. And it's important for us to remember that it fits with the other sermons we've been looking at, that peace comes from our faith confirming for us that we know how the story is going to end. We know how the story is going to end, and so we can focus on what's most important for this stage in our lives. And for this stage, what is most important for you to do before you die is to know Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about, about coming to peace with Jesus, is that Jesus can bring us peace through healing and through suffering. So healing her was the way that he brought this woman peace. He used healing to bring her peace. But Scripture also testifies that God will use suffering sometimes to bring us peace. In James it says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Hebrews says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No, it's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, what I don't want you to hear me say is that every time you're suffering, God's, God sent it to you to teach you something. I think it's very dangerous for us to speak for God to say why God allows a particular instance of suffering. All we can really do is enumerate the various reasons why God might allow suffering to happen. Some, God might cause suffering to happen for you to learn something. God also might use suffering that has happened because there is sin in the world for that purpose. What we know about God is not that he does evil things to create good results, but that God can miraculously make good out of bad things. So anytime someone says, I know why this bad thing happened to you, take it with a grain of salt. I can narrow it down for you to the reasons that are mentioned in Scripture, and we might be able to talk through some reasons why you're in that situation. If it's because of sin, you might be able to identify, like, this is the thing I did wrong to get me here. Often we won't know until we talk to God. But the point is that whatever is happening in your hurting, whether God is healing you or he's not, he can still be working to bring you peace. Whether or not you're healing does not tell you whether or not God is working in your life and whether or not God is doing what really ultimately matters in this life. What matters in this life is that we come to know Jesus. 
So ultimately, faith allows us to experience peace in the present while we wait for healing in the future. When we don't know, how is God going to heal me? What is, how, is God going to, how is God going to use this particular season? We don't know. But if we are convinced, if we have faith that God is doing what is right for us, if we have confidence that we know how the story ends, then we can have peace in the meantime to know that even if I'm not experiencing the healing that I wanted on the timeline that I wanted in the way that I wanted, that God is doing what is ultimately right. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be happy-go-lucky and it's not going to matter to you and you're, that you're not being healed. But it does mean that we can endure that with hope and know that we haven't been abandoned by God. There's a, a story that it'd be, it's interesting to pair this with where um, John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends messengers to Jesus to say, hey, are you really the one who's bringing the restoration of the kingdom? Because the implication is I'm stuck in jail and that's not how I thought the story was going to go. Like my short-term story is not according to plan. Are you sure that the long-term plan is on track and you're the guy who's going to bring it back? And Jesus tells them, tells these messengers, go report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Notice it doesn't tell John the Baptist at all what's going to happen to him. And ultimately, he dies in prison. He's executed. But Jesus is talking about faith here. He's saying, look around and look at what I am doing. And if you see me doing the work of God, then you can trust that the work of God is happening, and that means you know how the story will end. And you don't know how your short-term circumstances are going to go, but you know how the story is going to end. Doesn't mean he's not going to experience fear. Doesn't mean he's not going to experience anxiety or even moments of doubt. And obviously, uh, what happens to him is not what we would want. And I'm sure that was very difficult for him. I'm also sure it was difficult for Jesus. We're going to talk next week about how Jesus reacts to the suffering of, of those around him. But he tells John, look, I'm doing the work of God, and you know that the work of God is going to continue until it's complete. So how do we find peace on earth when we're hurting? Or how do we share peace on earth with those who are hurting? The first thing we need to do is remember that God will heal every hurt in this world or the next. I believe for a fact that I will see all of you be able to run and jump and skip. Those of you who are so far, your running, jumping, skipping days are long behind you, that will happen again. Scripture tells us at the very last picture we get of God and humanity, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. It's not a question of whether God is going to heal you. 
whether God is going to remove the hurt. It's a question of when. The healing will happen in this world or the next. But the getting to know Jesus has to happen in this world. So sometimes God brings you the healing in the moment when you pray. This is why we pray every time that someone is suffering. We pray for God to deliver them. And we have many instances of God doing amazing things to heal people. But he is always bringing you peace. He is always working to bring you peace. No matter what he's doing in your body or in your life, he is always working to bring you peace. And faith in Jesus can open us up to whatever healing God has in store so that we can trust that what he is doing in the here and now is the right thing to be doing in the here and now because I know that the healing will come. The restoration will come and that God will do what is right for this life so that what has to happen in this life will happen to lay the foundation for eternity. Amen? That's the hope that we find in Scripture. And as we close, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to consider what God is laying on your heart today. Maybe you have not entrusted your life to Jesus Christ in the first place, and you don't have that hope of healing. Today is the best day for you to embrace that hope, to give your life to Jesus, to become a follower of his, and to receive the hope that all hurts will one day be healed. Today is the best day for you to do that. You can come down and talk to me after the service. You can, you can come up during the last song, um, or you can um, get in touch with the church. If you're online, talk to a Christian that you know and trust. You can fill out that red card as well, your Connect card. Maybe you are dealing with hurt, and you need, uh, you need to be prayed through it. You need to share that burden with others. Um, that's what our check-in card is for. You can write in prayer requests. You can ask to meet with a pastor um, or with an elder. Um, maybe you need a f- group of believers to carry you through moments of hurt and to reassure you and to carry you through. That's what our, our small groups are for. And so you can grab that green card and fill that out to say that you'd like to join a class or a group. Maybe you want to be God's agent to alleviate the suffering of others or to serve others. That's what our blue card is for. Maybe God's putting something on your heart that I haven't anticipated at all and wasn't printed on one of our cards. Whatever he's putting on your heart, I want you to listen to it. I want you to respond to it. And I want you to act on it. I'll ask you to consider that as we uh, stand to sing our final song.